Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com and hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahochko, and joining me once again is my good friend and yours, and Mr. Hoss Reuter. I don't know why I threw that and in there. I felt like I was going to build up on your introduction a bit more, buddy, but we've got a lot of things to talk about, and we're going to dive right into a non-Husker-related um, topic, but before we do that, how you been, man? How, how was your week? Yeah, it was pretty good, you know, just slogging through it. A lot of schoolwork, you know, and a lot of, you know, going to work and working. At, so basically the three works, you know, school, actual employment, and the gym. So, you know, and, uh, you know, just trying to get a grasp on the second semester of the school year. Do you find that... I'm trying to go back to when I was in school many year ago, um, and and anybody who's I, I'm sure I've talked about it here. I only went to you know community college and got my associates, and then I went to a broadcast center and and got my certificate in broadcasting, which you know uh, 15 years later doesn't mean a whole lot. I guess it means that I completed the program, but I'm not in radio anymore as far as you know paying paid radio <laughs> i'm doing this which is great uh i have, have sometimes more fun doing this than i had doing the uh the the paid radio but uh um what what is the biggest difference between like the start of the fall semester and the start of the spring semester for you bud well the biggest thing is like with the start of the fall semester i'm always you know and i haven't taken summer classes yet as, you know, a college student, which is something I'm going to be doing this summer for the first time. But after, you know, break over the summer of just working and, you know, just my own thing, I'm juiced and ready to get back in the classroom. Like, I'm super excited about it. I'm ready to hit the ground running. You know, football season starting as well. So I'm, you know, I'm all, I'm all ready to get into the groove of things. The winter semester is always difficult because it's one of those things where, you just got through four months of just, you know, never being able to really take a deep breath. You're always on to something new, you know. You get done with one test, you're already starting on new, you know. You have those weeks where you got three papers due, a test, you know, a quiz, a project. And then you get to Christmas, which as a college, the period between Thanksgiving and finals is just pure hell. I get you know, a chance to flex around Christmas, although you're busy doing other things, you know, family get-togethers, you know, the holiday obligations. And then by the time you start the winter semester, you're just like, you know, thinking you're going to be on cruise control for a few weeks. First week is syllabus week, and the second week you're not expecting any homework or anything like that. But in all actuality, you're just kind of burnt out from the first semester. So the, the one starting in January always takes a lot more energy to ramp up. Do you think part of that, too, is, uh, and this is just my continued hatred of, of winter weather, but do you think part of that is, it, you know, the, the cold and just 
Man, it, it, like, okay, so great example. Uh, a few years ago, 2015, uh, it was July. Um, I was working at a dealership, and we, we got a new salesman on the floor who happened to be uh, my boss's and, and the owner's uh, son-in-law. But at, at the same time, I knew him from, you know, years prior. We, we are from uh, Clinton County, which doesn't mean anything to anybody in Nebraska. But, um, you know, it's, it's the rural, uh, you know, towns. Every, you know, town is structured five miles apart, give or take. Uh, there's farmland in between. The highest building in most of these towns is, uh, is the top of the Catholic Church. And uh, we knew each other from we were both DJs on the party buses. Uh, the company out of, out of one of those towns. Um, but, so I knew him, good dude, but, you know, he was 6'7", played college basketball um, down here at, at uh, McKendry, which uh, Brian and I talked uh, quite a bit about McKendry because of their uh, bowling program and how it was started by some uh, Nebraska ties there, but I digress. Uh, but anyway, 6'7", kept in shape. I said, man, how do you, how do you keep in shape? He's like, I, I work for it, you know. He, he, he's like, you know, the obvious answer is like, I get up, you know, five days a week and I go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning. I said, teach me, teach me your ways. And that worked from July to November when I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to get up in the cold, leave my bed and go to, to the gym when I don't have to. <laughs> so uh, it, do you think winter weather plays a part in it? It's like, man, it's just too damn cold to enjoy anything. Yeah. And what's funny is it's kind of a, two sides of the coin with that for me like when it comes to waking up in the morning to go to class you know if i have like an 8 a.m lecture in the winter time and that electric blanket's nice and warm and you know i just don't want to pry myself you know from being in bed it's just it's hell you know to get up get going i don't have remote start on my car so i have to go out and start my car up scrape the windshield you know all that but then on the other hand you know you bring up going to the gym in the morning I am. It never fails hard from August, and then once school the school year starts, and once football season starts, I take a few months off the gym, tag on a few pounds again, you know, lose my motivation to go. But the second it rolls back around to January, you know, I'm hitting the ground running again, and it just this is what the third or fourth. January in a row that I get back into the gym, hammer out eight, nine months, and then go back to, you know, drinking beer and eating food that just really isn't all that good for me, you know, from the months of September to December. I know with my job now, uh, you know, I I drive a a delivery truck and uh, I deliver five-gallon bottles of water uh, all over. Last week I was in downtown St. Louis uh, all week long, which you know, sucks uh, because it's a big truck in, you know, not so narrow roads and people are in a hurry. But anyway, these these uh, bottles, like I said, are, are 45 pounds, give or take. Uh, and, you know, sometimes we've got to carry them into offices. We've got to carry them to people's, uh, you know, front porches or, or garages or back porches, things like that. So I, you know, I don't go to the gym. And, and, and the joke that I, you know, say to all these customers is, yeah, you know, they pay me to get a workout in because I've, you know, added muscle and, lost some weight since I started the job, but my wife is a nurse and takes care of babies who are not 45 pounds, but they're like six or seven pounds on the high end. Uh, So she does go to the gym, and one of her biggest frustrations was uh, the 
New Year's resolution people. She's like, yeah, they're there. They're taking up all the machines. But she says, but all I got to do, I just got to make it till February, and then most of them will have dropped out. <laughs> Get back in the gym, you know, January. It's always full of, you know, the New Year's resolution crowd. I guess some people would probably see me as a part of that crowd, but I like to think that, again, you know, the street cred that carries over, you know, after I'm still, you know, hanging around after Super Bowl Sunday, I just take my uh, hiatus once football season starts, but I'm not going to do that this year because, I'm t- you know, I, I retain quite a bit from those three months of being out of the gym, but sure. I'm always the hardest part is just getting back into it. Once I'm there, it just becomes self-sustaining. It just keeps going, you know, and get to the point of, you know, being there four or five days a week. But, um, yeah, I mean, around Christmas time, it's always like, ah, here it comes again. Then once I'm back in it, it's like, why did I ever stop for those three months? And and the biggest thing that I always was, you know, I don't want to say was taught, but, but the biggest thing that I learned uh, was that you can't outwork the fork. So no matter how much yes. effort you're putting in the gym, if you're, you know, and that my – and, and folks, we're going to talk some Husker athletics. Don't worry, we're going <laughs> to get there. Um, but my biggest thing has always been portion control. Like, oh, there's six pieces left of that frozen pizza. Uh, we don't need leftovers of frozen pizza. Um, goodbye, frozen pizza. You know, that, that's that type of thing. It's I sit down to snack with the intent of having a you know a handful of pretzels or a handful of Cheez-Its or something like that. Next thing I know, the box is gone. That, that's always been my problem. Um, so I'm trying to work on that too. And, and again, being this job that I'm at now, I don't really have time for lunch or breakfast. So it's like, it's a granola bar or, or something like that, a protein bar. And, and that's it. My wife, you know, the smart one, she's like, that's not really any better because then you're coming home and gorging at dinner time. I said, yeah, I know, but it's kind of my option right now. So <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, would you- when you talk about portion control, there's a place in West Omaha, Oscar's Pizza on 170th and West Center. And if anyone who works at Oscar's is listening, uh, some gift cards would probably be you know, pretty nice. <laughs> but um, uh, me and my best friend, we have this long-standing tradition. We go to Oscar's to watch a game, you know, or just, just you know, any time over the off-season. We'll, we'll get a large pizza and we'll split a pizza. And they're cut up like the Valentino, you know. Uh, the squares and the truck. not real big pizza slices. At least this is how I rationalize it to myself. But over the course of one summer, I think it was been. We probably went there. I mean, honestly, I think we kept track and we, we what what we said was we murdered eleven pizzas over the course of that summer, just <laughs> finishing them completely, washing them down with a lot of Coors Banquet. And then there was one time that we were up there that we were sitting there. We ate a large pizza and we we're having some beers and the waitress comes by to get us some more beers and we just kind of look at each other and we're like you know what we'll take a medium pizza you know and we finish that off you know uh, i was 24 at the time and now i'm 27 and uh in that three-year time frame i hate to say it but my metabolism <laughs> slowed down drastically despite you know to the gym so yeah i'm getting to the point where i can't out train the fork uh, one more uh, anecdote, and, and this is purely monetary, um, but talking about going to a restaurant and, and overindulging. Uh, a few years ago, we switched from DirecTV to uh, Charter, which is, of course, now Charter Spectrum or wherever, you know, whatever it's called, different names in different regions. Um, but we did, did away with uh, DirecTV and NFL Sunday Ticket. And I'm like, you know what? 
the, it's, I'm a Steelers fan. They get quite a lot of primetime games anyway because, you know, the, it's a team that, you know, the, the league likes to highlight. So Monday nights, Sunday nights, uh, Thursday nights, and, and even some of those Sunday afternoon games. And besides, I don't need to tie up. I'm already dedicating every Saturday for the Huskers. I don't need to tie up another three and a half or whatever hours on a Sunday when I could be mowing the lawn or just, you know, out with the family, something like that. And this was, you know, before our son was born. Um, so as a cost-cutting measure, we're just going to drop NFL Sunday ticket. So that first week we went to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, and instead of, you know, like the – $50 or whatever it is for NFL Sunday ticket for a month. I think between just my wife and I, between appetizers, uh, our meal, the desserts and drinks, it was like 75 bucks. We're like, I'm an idiot. I apologize. Let's go back and get that damn NFL Sunday ticket so that we can still watch football and <laughs> not spend $70 a week. We'll spend $50 a month, but I digress. Uh, which is two times if you're Keeping track already. Before we went, went to the Garth Brooks concert in Omaha back in 2015. Before the, my younger sister, I was hanging out at my sister's graduation party and we were drinking some beers. And then afterwards, when it was time to go to the concert, we had a designated driver, of course, drive us down to Midtown Crossing. In, in Omaha, and we we're going to eat and have some more drinks before the show. And our whole mindset was, well, beers are going to be expensive at the concert. So let's just pregame or just, well, get drunk at the bar. It'll be cheaper. So that's what we did. And then we walked down to the CenturyLink, longest walk and brand new pair of cowboy boots. That was brutal. And um, <laughs> beers were $9 a piece at, or 8 bucks a piece at the concert. I was like, I'm not, I'm not buying more than one or two here. Well, safe to say I ended up spending $72 on beer at the concert. So, uh, yeah, those, those plans can, uh, back fire. I, I have made it a point, uh, when I go to a sporting event or concert or something like that, I just don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very staunch and, and, uh, maybe cheap is the better word. I'm not paying that much for a beer. Uh, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. It's also probably why I don't go to bars uh, because I'd rather just get a six pack of, of a good beer and and stay at home. What? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I it must have just lagged for a second on my end. I was going to say six pack of Coors Banquet when you said that. No, I said a six pack of good beer. <laughs> uh, we'll have to agree to disagree once again, Greg. Well, it, it, no, it, in all fairness, I did say good beer before you tried to, to sneak your Coors Banquet in there. So it's not like I was digging on Coors Banquet this time. I just said, you know, rather than, you know, go to, uh, for example, go to Bush Stadium and pay eight and a quarter for uh, 16 ounces of Bud Light, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I, you know, I'm, I'm too broke. To oh, yeah, that's, Bud Light, that's totally understandable to not do that. I wouldn't do that for Coors Banquet either. I I, mm. oh, there's, I wouldn't pay. There's not a price I wouldn't pay. I yeah I, I don't go like over two fifty for a beer. Again, it's why I don't go to bars. <laughs> They're not getting any of my money. That's One time, my birthday a few years ago, it was a total total dive bar that I had no 
no interest in being selective on, you know, the few times I do actually go to a bar, you know, um, you know, it's, I'm pretty selective in where I go. And I was kind of like, oh, I got to go here for this birthday, you know, and I'm going home, you know, I got to work in the morning. It's like on a Friday night and I had to work Saturday morning. Again, I don't think my was there. So I was like about ready to order a bush light. And then I see the Coors Banquet cans and the uh, coolers that they had. And I was like, you know, I'll have a Coors Banquet. And they're like, okay. And they go, that'll be $2, $2 cans. So I was just like, here's a 10, keep them coming. <laughs> well, see, so you were able to get your beer at a price that, that suited you. So Yeah, and I ended up staying there till close, even though I had to work in the morning. God, like when we talk about beer, as much as we tweet about beer, people probably think I'm an alcoholic. I, Yeah, we should go on the record at this point and say it's Saturday night, it's 10.30, and we're both at home recording this podcast. Instead, you know, I'm I'm married with a a, a child, and my wife is working tonight, uh, and my son is asleep. Hoss, he's finally asleep. He's in his bed. We can, you know, high-five over the interwebs for that one. Uh, But Hoss is a young single man and he could be out hitting the the nightlife scene uh but he's not he's he's responsible uh and and he I, I don't know i question his judgment when i say he he'd rather stay home and talk with me about <laughs> husker athletics and and uh beer and everything else but uh um the, the good news i don't i don't know good news but uh, the hopeful side of things is maybe Hoss won't be single for you know for long so we'll, we'll yeah, hopefully uh, the winds of change will uh, be afoot. We're going to talk about that soon, but you know, at this point, we really do need to at least <laughs> mention something Nebraska athletics related. Uh, the Huskers put on a show. Yeah, the natives might be getting restless. But I'll tell you what, we were able to avoid any questions about deadlifting uh, when we were talking about the gym earlier. So um, that, that's why we're the number one podcast at coronation.com, everybody. Um, but let's talk. Uh, Dead lifts are overrated. <laughs> I think Olympic lifts are, are overrated. Um, the Huskers had a dandy of a ball game uh, earlier this week against a uh, 23-ranked Michigan Wolverine team. And Michigan is one of those, when you think of of uh, Big Ten powerhouses, Michigan, maybe not so much now, but, I mean, that's this is the, the school that gave us Tim Hardaway. Uh, it's, you know, it. it it's one of the teams that I think of when I think of Big Ten basketball. And so the, the fact that Nebraska was able to, uh, obviously being at the vault was beneficial, um, but they just, they may have started out a little, you know, I don't know, sloppy I think was a, was a word that, that was used. But, man, they put it together, and, and they had a hell of a game. Uh, what did you think? Did, did you have the opportunity to watch that game, Hoss? I did. Uh, I got home from my night class about halfway through the first half. And at that point, Nebraska ball fan in me was kind of thinking, okay, you know, it's a good start. You know, I think we were up 20 to 14 when I got home and started watching. And then as the game went on, you could just see that there was a resolve from Nebraska that really, you know, hadn't seen in quite a while from Nebraska basketball or Nebraska athletics in general, you know for the past few years. But then in the 
as a parent that not only was Nebraska just out playing Michigan and you know Michigan shot pretty poorly and every basketball team is going to have those nights but Nebraska just flat out intimidated Michigan in that game and I think I, I had a tweet after the game was over about how it was a man's game by Nebraska ball and it was in the truest definition of the word I mean they they played the, you know we played our, our asses off um you know, shooting the ball for rebounds, playing good defense, just getting hands up into the passing lanes and forcing bad passes from the Michigan. The most satisfying wins as a Nebraska basketball fan. I rank up there with like no sit Sunday a few years back, beating Indiana in Assembly Hall that same year. Or here's one from the archives, beating KU in 2004 with uh, Brian Conklin raining down three-pointers all over KU. Right. I mean, that was a really satisfying game to watch. And this was an effort that, if it is continued, uh, you know, could – you know, if, if they play like this the rest of the Big Ten season. Now, now it's funny because they needed overtime – earlier in the week to, uh, uh, in fact, on, on my dad's birthday, uh, they needed overtime to beat Illinois, winless in the conference Illinois, at, at least at that time, uh, to beat them by like a point. Um, and then to come out and have that display against Michigan. It re- and there was a little bit of drama uh, around uh, the men's basketball program in the past week or, or 10 days uh, regarding uh, the center, Jordy Chamanga, uh, obviously didn't make the, the trip to Penn State, which, you know, could argue that that's why they didn't win the, the Penn State game, but, you know, not putting that on his shoulders because uh, they were in that one as well. Um, but it seems like his return to the team as of Tuesday morning might have been a little shot in the arm. Yeah, it kind of seemed like a uh, kind of a rallying point. Yeah, yeah, that great way to put it. The, uh, great the guys were able to rally around you know, and um, I mean, motivation stuff to come by in, in sports and, you know, you take it anywhere you can get it. And, you know, I, I do think that Shimonga leaving the team had a uh, negative effect on the team with that Penn State game. But, uh, you know, for him to come back and fit right back in, be accepted by the, by the guys, you know, and it's not always the case when someone leaves like that. I think that was definitely a rallying point. And, you know, I'm just... I'm cautiously hopeful, you know, that the team can continue this momentum and keep it going and not fall into the past trappings that have characterized the Nebraska basketball program. It was the type of game that, you know, it, it, it was a similar effort, I think, to the the Kansas law, uh, you know, the game they played against Kansas and lost, being that Kansas is a better team than Michigan. I don't know if they're a, you know, a 20, whatever the point difference was. I don't know if they're that much, but, but, you know, if a few things go Nebraska's way in that game against Kansas, then you're celebrating another big win on the home court. And then even going up to, uh, you know, up the road to Omaha and, and with the the type of effort that they displayed against Michigan, uh, you know, I think that with that type of effort, the, long into the short of what I'm trying to say is with the type of effort that they showed against the Wolverines they can compete with anybody and and really find some success yeah I completely agree with you on that. 
I think that um, Nebraska is really close when you look at those previous games to being 17-3. and three. If you added in the UCF game from Thanksgiving night, I mean, Nebraska could almost be 18-2. and two. You know, and I just uh, just keep it going. Don't squander the momentum. Don't let your foot off the gas. Don't get complacent. To invoke the uh, greatest football coach alive in the world right now, Bill Belichick, do your job. No days off. We don't invoke his name, nor do we call him the greatest football coach alive. Um, and that's going back to last week's conversation we had about uh, Belichick versus Saban. Um, but let's before we put the uh, close the book on on the Husker basketball chat for for now. Um, I want to say, and, and it's funny because we differ on this, and I don't know if it's a generation thing, but I want to put some of the blame on the Michigan loss to those short shorts Michigan's wearing. This is not 1986, <laughs> man. This is not 1987 or 88. The era of the short shorts is gone. What are what are they thinking? I saw one player, I think, with, oh, wear, yeah. wearing them last year in the tournament, but come on now, Michigan. It that's that's look. I'm not a guy who knows anything about style, and even I know that that's not stylish, man. That's not the way things are trending. I think anyone. I don't think anyone would be a fashionista. I'm bigger <laughs> on function over fashion right. in terms of what I wear. Substance over. But style. Uh, I'm a short shorts guy. Okay. Oh, uh, they're they're functional in the weight room, you know, like. When, you know, on days that I, you know, squat, do leg <laughs> extensions, leg curls, you know, hip sled, I like shorter, shorter, not over the knee. And, you know, every time my knees bend, you know, the bend of the knee isn't catching the hem of the short. So I, I'm a short shorts guy, you know, not too short, obviously, but, you know, a good inch, inch and a half above the knee. You say that now. Perfectly good. You say that now, but I know that 40 years from now, 67-year-old Haas at the gym is going to be wearing the short shorts, and your balls are going to be out, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, you know, I'll have to address that when that day comes. But right now, you know, being blessed with, through genetics and, you know, hard work with Earl Campbell-type legs, you know, I got tree trunks for legs. I, sky's out, thighs out, man. Oh, God. All right. I, I can't believe that's where that conversation went, but I guess it's my fault for bringing it up. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a staunch defender of short shorts. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, and, and really, there's one person on the coordination staff who I need to have on the show, uh, who we need to have on the show to uh, talk about our next topic. But uh, the the invitation, I don't know if it's ever been extended, and, and I meant to earlier this week, but uh, – I don't know if this person is is willing to do it, but really the only person on staff who I think is is fully what's the word I'm looking for, Haas? I don't know, capable. Uh, anyway, I'm talking about Jill and, and talking about women's basketball. There's nobody on the coordination staff more um, suited to talk. Could, you know, that's one of her trademarks. She she loves you know covering the. The Lady Huskers, but but the Lady Huskers are, are winning some nice games as well. And uh, you know what what have you seen from them in, in the second year under uh, uh, their coach? 
Amy Williams. Do you want me to be completely honest here? Have I ever asked for anything else? I mean, you're over there. I don't don't know if I've ever watched. All right. All right. Moving on. Yeah. But let me tell you, I I read articles all the time. You know, I'm I'm a Nebraska sports fan, you know, even though 97.9% of my loyalties lies just with football. But, um, no, I mean, you see, you know, Amy Williams walked into a bad situation. You know, Matthew, the sure. county, Yori, ousting. And, sure. Um, a lot of talented players left the program. The one, I'm drawing a blank on the name right now. But um, she's done a nice job of rebuilding the culture and rebuilding oh, the roster. Shepherd? And um, it looks, you know, ostensibly – from a thousand, you know, thirty-five thousand foot view of someone who doesn't follow it very closely, that Nebraska went in the right direction. And and that's you know they they've racked up some nice wins. Big Ten is uh, another tough conference for uh, women's basketball as well. So really, Jill, if you're listening to this, this is officially because I always it's one of those things when I think to send the message to Jill and, and invite her on. I'm always busy, like I'm, I'm driving or something like that. And, and the times that I could totally send that message uh, are times when, you know, it's it's not on the top of my uh, to-do list. So, Jill, if you're listening, this is your official invitation to hop on uh, the chat next week and, and talk some Husker uh, women's hoops. That being said, let's uh, move on to something that uh, – Hoss, you have been following a little more closely, and that is some of these um, uh, recruits and some of these verbal commitments and whatnot because it's funny. We've had early signing day, which is the first time we've ever had that in the NCAA, but we're really only a couple weeks away from uh, the traditional national signing day, the first Wednesday of February. And there was one name in particular that you sent uh, to me and, and uh, talking about his potential commitment and what it could mean for the Huskers, and that's Jared Bell. Remind the listeners who maybe don't follow recruiting as closely as uh, you know others, who's Jared Bell, uh, what position, and, and what could he mean for Nebraska? Well, Bell is a uh, he's a four-star offensive tackle from Norco, California. Plays left tackle on his high school team. And at one point, he was committed to Alabama, but he decommitted from them a couple months back. And uh, he visited last week, and it sounds like he's going to make his decision this upcoming Monday after hosting Frost on an in-home visit. And uh, all signs point to him, you know, committing here. And um, Rick, have you had Rick on the show before? I have. Yeah, um, that's right. He asked me to watch, you know, some of his huddle film the other night, you know, to kind of get a good, you know, I, you know, provide him with a little bit of insight on what Bell does well and what, you know, he needs to work on. And uh, it was the first time I pulled up his film, but as a left tackle, um, first off, he doesn't have any bad weight. You know, he's not, you know, sloppy. He's not undersized. Um, he's kind of built like an NBA power forward, you know, long and lean. And on the, you know, most of the time he's on the backside of, you know, run plays, you know, the run to the right, you know, as opposed to the left. But 
he's always looking for work, even when he's uncovered, when he doesn't have a lineman or a D lineman directly lined up, you know, to his inside shoulder, you know, head up on him. And, you know, he'll help out the left guard and climb up to the second level and just absolutely bury, you know, some linebackers in the process and play, you know, plays with great leverage, you know, despite, you know, at times his stance can get a little bit, I don't want to say sloppy, but his stance is a little bit um, less than optimal. And that has an effect on pad level coming out of the stance, but he's able to fight, you know, really you know, he's able to fight the D lineman to gain that, you know, advantage in pad level being lower than the D lineman and just finishes off blocks really well. He's just a mauler. Uh, great footwork on stretched plays and being on the backside of inside zone when he has to execute a backside cutoff block on a lineman lined up, you know, to the next man inside. Um, polling. He's a very good puller, uh, gets down the line of scrimmage on long traps and knows how to target um, the defender's shoulders, you know, targets the inside shoulder in order to kick out the defender so the running back or the ball carrier can cut inside of that block. And if the defenders come far, too far down inside against the down block of the play side tackle, you know, he's able to target the outside shoulder and log him so the running back or the ball carrier can uh, cut off of that block and bounce it to the outside. And uh, he, he really good situational awareness. Um, you can tell that he's well coached. Um, you can tell that he's accountable in the weight room. He's, you know, and I mean this in the highest, def, the highest definition of a compliment. He's a dirtbag. <laughs> and that's what you want in offensive linemen. You want a dirt bag out there. Guy who's just going to fight and claw and maul, you know, defenders. And I think ultimately, like Rick and I were discussing in the slack room, and Rick brought it up, Bell is prob- is likely a guy who is a guard at the next level, you know, in college, um, especially in the Scott Frost offense that loves to pull guards on a variety of play- sweet plays, you know outside zone, pin and pull, uh, pulling them on power and power read and a um, little bit of trap and G lead action. And so this is a, this is a big time, huge commitment. And um, yeah, I mean, if he ends up translating to still being a tackle at the college level. Great. But I think you're looking at him being a very, very, very good offensive guard at Nebraska. It, it's funny going back to one of the f- first things that you said about him. Uh, you know, a couple, a couple months back, he decommitted from Alabama, which is not something I'm sure that uh, they see, or, or maybe they see more often than not, because uh, you know they probably pursue you know 150 kids and and pay about 55 of them, and he probably wasn't <laughs> one of those kids that was getting paid. And uh, uh, but no, I. I in all seriousness, probably saw that, you know, maybe they were uh, being a little, I don't know, maybe gave, I don't understand the whole recruiting thing, but probably saw that maybe he didn't fit in if, if they were targeting other, you know, uh, tackles, things like that. So uh, if this, th- this could be a nice coup for Nebraska, if they're able to pick, is he somebody who could start right away or does he need, you know, to get, get to that, you know, college weight on him, uh, I think linemen, and, and we probably talked about this in the past, but but it seems like unless 
they come in with the size already. I, I do believe that the lineman, uh, you know, offensive or defensive side, is one place that you know could really benefit from a year, a, a redshirt freshman year, to bulk up. Uh, is, is he? Does he fit that mold, or is he somebody who, in a pinch, could you know be on the sideline in uniform next year? I think he's a guy that could be, you know. Well, maybe not starting right out of the gate. I think he's a guy that could rotate in right out of the gate. Um, you don't see too many offensive linemen like that, you know, who are that just well coached and they already know, you know, how to do a lot of the little things that college linemen do. There was- and so I think that, you know, if we can secure his commitment. I wouldn't be surprised if he rotated in at like, you know, left guard to start the year. And then if injuries occurred or if he just started outperforming, you know, say Gerald Foster, you know, just pencil him in as the starter at left guard for now. um, You could see Bell overtaking Foster because this is not a scheme that's going to require, you know, guys to learn for three to four years before seeing the playing field. This is a scheme that's going to be a lot of the, you know, handful of blocking schemes that are executed with the same techniques. So there's a lot of carryover, you know, a couple of pass protections and, you know, you're good to go. It just comes down to the defensive recognition, you know, recognizing fronts and line calls. So, I mean, and a lot of it, like with his decommitment from Alabama, a lot of the offensive linemen who have been very successful at Alabama have been and got to Bell. Um, maybe not five stars, but, you know, high four stars. And a lot of the times Alabama, just because they have such a, you know, ungodly collection of talent, Deep they'll pockets. offer guys just to prevent them from going to a school that Alabama will play against, you know. They're just, you know, they're trying to, you know, they're basically trying to have their cake and eat it too at that point. You know, they just don't want to play against the guy, so they're going to offer him and just stash him on the bench. But, you know, for him to decommit from Alabama and then for us to be emerging as the leading candidate to secure his services, um, it's huge for this offensive line, especially if there's, you know, some attrition, you know, over the course of winter conditioning and spring ball that occurs at, you know, a few positions up front. And, Real quick, uh, let's touch on some of these commitments that we have received here in the last couple of weeks uh, because Scott Frost and company have been busy. I mean, they were busy in December uh, while they were also, you know, making all the flights, you know, Scott in particular making all the flights down to Orlando for practices and, and of course, to finishing off UCF's uh, national championship season. Um, but they have – this staff has been busy. Uh, trying to put, you know, get get out on the road and get their guys. And I say their guys not to uh, disparage any of the the young players on Nebraska's team, um, you know, who, who were, you know, gosh, some of them could have been Bo Pelini recruits, at, you know, at this point um, with, with the, the kind of turnover that, that we've seen in the last uh, half a decade. Um, but they're going out and getting players that, that uh, maybe they've had their eye on for some time. And it, it's got to be a nice thing if, if you can get a player to, you know, come talk to you at UCF and then you as a staff is saying, 
uh, hey, we still, you know, this is our situation. We're moving. Uh, what do you think about Lincoln? We still want you, you know, and now instead of playing UCF again, not to, you know, disparage their undefeated name or anything like that, but now you get to go play in the Big Ten. You get to go play against the Michigans, the Ohio States, the Penn States. Uh, you get to go put on the scarlet and cream. What what's your what has been your take on, on some of the uh, names that have been out there uh, that that have been you know receiving visits or Ben and Lincoln some of the guys who have uh, committed uh, to the Huskers here in the last couple of weeks? Well, you can see that the common thread with that is just a lot of speed, right? Um, addressing speed, you know, at the tailback position, at the receiver position, and some of the hybrid H back types with like Justin McGriff and Katarian Legrone. Um, and that was something that our offense really lacked. You know, last year we didn't have a lot of dynamic playmakers. I mean, as good as Stan and JD were at the receiver position, um, they still, you know, because coverages would you know, from defenses would account for them and try to neutralize their threat. Um, they, you know, they couldn't always gain consistent separation with speed being such a big, you know, critical factor of Frost's offense, you've seen the recruiting efforts reflect that. I mean, like Greg Bell and Miles Jones, and it's looking like potentially Maurice Washington and Jerron Woodyard, you know, players like that. Dominic Watt, who committed the other night after the Michigan game was over. Um, yeah, you just see, you know, they see that those guys fit their scheme when they're at Central Florida, and, you know, they fit, they'll fit their scheme at Nebraska. And, um, so, you know, it's not specifically just recruiting to the scheme. It's also they're recruiting very good athletes, highly coveted athletes. I mean, Dominic Watts' offer sheet was pretty impressive for a guy who committed here sight unseen. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be – there's going to be a lot of speed offensively this season. And um, I think for once we're going to have probably a couple of freshman phenoms, you know. We're finally going to get, you know, to enjoy that after being literally the only college football the past 15 years that, you know, we seem to never have a freshman phenom. You know, every other school, you know, plugs one in and they're successful. Well, so, uh, yes, and it's going to no. be, it's going to be a different look for sure. I, I, am going to, I want to stop you there hesitantly and, and not to, not to debate or anything like that. But, but since you mentioned it, when, uh, uh, uh Pearson L was a freshman, uh, you know, he was that freshman phenom, you know, he was a playmaker. I believe, you know, that's when he had the, the few punt returns uh, for touchdowns and, and maybe a kick return or two. Uh, then he was hampered by the injury. But just this past fall, we did have a freshman All-American in J.D. Spielman. So, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I And, and certainly hope for, you know, more uh, dynamic playmaking ability if they're going to go with a youth movement in the backfield. But the receiving core, for some reason, has all you know the, the last several years has always been. I don't know uh, the 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 highlight of the offense, if if that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah, and you know, um, I mean, when, when he was a freshman, when he was a freshman, Jordan Westerkamp had the had the hail mary catch, you know, for a mm-hmm. touchdown. So so I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, uh, you know, full bore, but but I think that we've had a lot of young guys step up so 
Well, the only caveat that I would, you know, say to that is the reason why I didn't really include those, like JD and uh, Jordan Westerkamp on that was the fact that they were redshirt freshmen. You know, they'd had a year oh, in, in the program already. And, um, <laughs> DeMornay had already, you know, he he, ste- he hit the ground running. You know, it took him, you know, the third game, he had that punt return against Fresno State and then started working him into the offensive rotation at the receiver position. But, yeah, I mean, for guys to step in as true freshmen, you've seen it across the board in college football. It just seems like it's happened very rarely for us. Do you think that is more uh, from the coaches not wanting to, you know, un- unleash the, the, the um, you know, hounds or the horses or whatever that, you know, do you think it's because of the coaches' decisions to not put a true freshman out there more so than, you know, maybe not having the, the right personnel to put out on the on the field or a combination of both? I think it's a combination of both. Um, you look at, like, Bill Callahan, his offense was so difficult to learn. Um, Bo Pelini, um, early on, it was kind of the same thing. He retained Sean Watson, and defensively, his defense was complicated to learn. And also going along with that is under Pelini is the evaluation or the caliber of the player in terms of talent wasn't always the best. Um, they were kind of, you know, I don't want to say we were sold a bill of goods by some of the, you know, recruiting hype, you know, through the Pelini era, but, you know, the <laughs> rationalizations that were made for some of the offers and commitments that we had, you know, weren't exactly the best. And then in the Riley era um, is combination of the two previous things that I mentioned along with the fact that there's just there really wasn't enough of a sample size to really draw a conclusion on the Riley era um, you saw guys like Trey Bryant step right. in as true freshmen um, you saw a little bit this year with Jalen Bradley out of necessity but or you know Stanley Morgan in 15 but largely you know you, you just, you know, it's kind of hard to draw a conclusion one way or another. And I'm sure someone out there will interpret that as me still being a Riley supporter. So. And, and, and one more name um, that just popped in my mind, uh, and I don't know if you heard it when I said it just a, a few seconds ago, is Tajon Lindsay uh, as a true freshman. Yeah. But didn't didn't get the, um, I don't know, didn't see the field enough, didn't, didn't get the opportunities as much. Um, but, you know, again, it's, you know, credit to him. He's he's an undersized freshman slot receiver. Uh, you know, just just being on the field, but but he's he's going to get the job done with his athleticism. Um, he'll he'll come around. He'll he'll have a nice career. Um, let's talk real quick uh, about uh, head coaches, managers, things like that. Um, now, Nebraska. You know, let, let's look at Nebraska's three main. I guess Maine, uh, men's sports, football, basketball, baseball. Um, right now you've got, at, at, as, as head coaches now, as of today, you've got Scott Frost, Tim Miles, Darren Erstad. Two of these, well, Darren Erstad, of course, uh, had, had a, a nice run in uh, Major League Baseball um, and now has been the head, uh, head coach I guess in in college they're still considered head coaches and not managers until they get to to um, the major leagues or the next level. 
Uh, Scott Frost, we know, you know, we all heard the stories of him uh, uh, in preparation for the Army game, suiting up for the scout team and and running the option uh, at UCF. Tim Miles, I, I the, the point I'm, I'm getting to, Haas, is, and this is one that we talked about in our notes, and I know you're excited to talk about it. Tim Miles on the sideline wears slacks, dress shirt, tie or sometimes slacks in a polo uh on the sideline for ucf it was typically you know black pants in in a polo for scott frost darren erstad is in the dugout wearing a baseball uniform Mm -hmm. baseball managers or head coaches whatever you want to call them you know from high school level junior high level maybe even on you know not little league obviously but but there's something about baseball where they are holding on to those uniforms for managers, which means you got 65, 70-year-old men wearing uniforms. And you don't see that in any other sport. Like Scott Frost, if he was standing on the Nebraska sideline and he was wearing you know, full pads, it would make sense because Scott Frost looks like he could still get out there and ball. I don't need to see Tim Miles in, you know, in, in a basketball <laughs> uniform, regardless of the length of the the shorts. I don't, you know, I don't, you know, Nick Saban's not going to suit up in full pads. Uh, Bill Belichick, I don't see him wearing anything but a hoodie, a hooded sweatshirt anywhere, um, because you know he's he's a classy individual that Belichick. Um, <laughs> so I had to throw that in there. I'm sorry. Uh, Carry on. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah, you just you just gl- glossed over it. Uh, what is it about baseball? Because you don't see it in softball. Um, you know, when when you see softball head, you know, managers or coaches, they're out there and uh, more often than not in shorts and and a, a team shirt, you know, team polo, something like that. But what is it about baseball that that they're holding on to the uniform? Because this has been bothering me for some time, and I guess finally now, even since it's not baseball season and my football seasons are over and, uh, you know, I don't follow the NBA. And I don't really have – you know, Greg Popovich isn't out there in in a uniform on the sidelines for the Spurs. What is it about baseball that, that they have yet to, you know, just say, all right, coaches, we're just going to switch to khakis even just khakis and a and a you know a button down uniform top that's one thing but man come on guys let's let's put the tight pants away yeah i i don't understand what it is with baseball managers coaches wearing the uniforms um it, it just i think it's for lack of a better term kind of tacky i guess i would say and i kind of feel the same way about basketball coaches wearing a shirt and tie, you know, jacket, shirt, and tie on the sideline. I mean, just throw on a pair of khakis and a quarter zip or a polo, you know, and coach, you know, I mean, I, God, I couldn't imagine trying to coach a football game wearing a, you know, shirt and tie. That'd be the most irritating thing, you know. Remember Al Golden from Miami having to always, you know, his tie would be flapping around. Well, what Um, about uh, P.J. Fleck? Oh, yeah, don't even get me started on that guy. I He's an Amway salesman. Oh, my gosh. I got that. The visual of him running 
from one end of the field to the other at the end of quarters against us back in November still pisses me off when I think about it. But just if you, nauseating. I mean, you want to coach to have some juice, some energy, but I would that say, was just over the top. I would say that football is the one sport where the – and again, this is something minor and petty in the grand scheme of things, but where the attire of the head coach and, and coaching staff has evolved the most – uh, oh. As you mentioned, you know basketball coaches are still, you know, jacket, suit, and uh, jacket, shirt, and tie, um, and baseball still baseball. But football, I mean, uh, you know, guys like uh, you know Vince Lombardi, um, you know, they were, you know, shirt and tie, you know, coat and tie type of things. Uh, Chuck Knoll, uh, Steelers, you know, Hall of Fame coach, wore a sweater and a tie for years and years. Uh, but you know, in the '90s, I guess somebody had a, the idea of hell with that. I'm in. I'm playing. I'm coaching football in Texas. I'm going to wear a polo, you know, and and uh, and the trend was started. Um, what? And and obviously you get into you know the Clevelands, the Buffaloes, the Green Bays, and and you got to wear more layers. I understand that, um, but man, it's just like they. For all that football has gotten wrong over the years, and there has been, you know, especially in the NFL, that you know all the controversy and scandal or whatever you know uh they they figured out how to let their coaches dress uh um, yeah let them let them you know whatever whatever it is that they want to wear on the sideline have at it you know i that's what i want to see from baseball and and you can't tell me that a lot of these older managers are like yeah looking forward to pulling up the stirrups <laughs> tonight let's go out there and Win that, win that game. I, you know, I just don't, I don't see it. You know, we, the khakis and some tennis shoes and a like a polo or something like that, man. Just and think about it. Then you, then you have, here you go, uh, MLBShop.com or shop.mlb.com or whatever. Then you have the managers line, manager exclusive polos. This is the design that only the managers wear. And now I'm making money for you, MLB. Um, I don't know. And if fans are like me, they buy up coaches' apparel, you know, with the, you know, when Nebraska, new Nebraska year comes out, I'm always like, what's the, where the coaches' pullovers look like this year? Am I going to buy one, you know? Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's a cash grab. And, 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 Haas, you're the only person that I know who was really disappointed when you found out that uh, they were not making, they were not actually making an Air Bombay loafer for kids who want to coach. You're like the only person I knew who was like, man, I, I really wanted that loafer, man. <laughs> Bombay, man. Oh, yeah. God. You got to go back a few years for that one, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there just thinking about it right now. I'm like, dang, that's that's one from the archives for kids who want to coach, man. I pulled that one out just 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 right now. I didn't have that one prepped or anything. Um, one more thing we got to talk about. I've always thought that. When I finally get into coaching that, you know, and it's been a long road, you know, just, you know, getting through school, you know, but, um, I'm going to be that coach. Like you see in the NFL, wind pants and a long sleeve t-shirt and a hat, just be so damn comfortable on the sideline, as comfortable as, po- as possible. Well, unless you're coaching down in Miami, uh, or Tampa, then you're going to have the short shorts on and, oh yeah, and, yeah, and, Bermuda shorts and, uh, you know. <laughs> A pair of flip flops. There you go. 
Uh, I, I see that uh, unless you try pulling a Tomlin and and uh, and tripping somebody up the sideline, and then he's going to crush your foot. Wait. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to throw on the Adi- the Yeezys or the Adidas Ultra Boost. I don't own a pair of Yeezys, by the way. No, I no. Um, one more thing to talk about, uh, and really, it's it's burying the lead because this is what the head, the topic, you know, the title is for this week's show. And the only reason I'm phrasing it this way is because it rhymes. But that's how to date in 2018. <laughs> uh, we are. In two different, we're, we're not that far apart in life. I'm, I'm 35, you're 27, so age-wise, we're not terribly uh, far apart. But by by the time that I was 27, I was married, um, and and okay, so I didn't have a cell phone until I went to college. So I was 18, and it was one of those little Nokia, you know, yellow screen with. I mean, it it was before texting. It was hell. It was 2000. Um, so I didn't, I didn't grow up with the cell phone per se, and I'm not saying that you particularly did. But kids nowadays are growing up with cell phones. I think I got my first one at 15 when okay. I started driving. Uh, fair enough, and and I wasn't going anywhere, you know, when I was 15, 16, 17 that really required a cell phone. And my parents knew my friends, and you know, back back in the day, and I'm sure your parents knew your friends, but they're like, hey, if he, we know if he's at Joe's or if he's he's at. Uh, you know, Louis, you know, house, we, we know where he's at and we know how to, you know, their, their house numbers, you know, is it it back in the 1900s. Um, but when I was in college, it's like, you know, I, I almost had to give them, you know, a house number to call, you know, I didn't have social media or anything like that. Um, it was right around 2020. It was right around 2000. I had foot surgeries and was pretty well on on uh, crutches for that entire summer. Um, that's when I, you know, got onto Yahoo Chat and things like that. But still, wasn't talking to anybody, you know, in in, in my area. Started to college on crutches, uh, which was cool because I think one girl actually called me crutchy. Um, Yikes! Or no, gimpy. That's what it was. It was gimpy. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure, not sure if it was uh, better. Um, Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, thanks. Uh, but, you know, college for me was, you know, I don't want to say it was it was slow dating. Um, but then I, you know, turned 21, got out to Nebraska, was in a college town, didn't really need. I mean, I had a cell phone, but, again, there was no social media. MySpace didn't come around, I think, until 2005, maybe. Um and, and, of course, that kind of started things, Facebook, now Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. But I met my wife because friend, mutual friends of ours were getting married, and uh, I was a groomsman and she was a bridesmaid, and they're like, yeah, we're going to have you walk her down the aisle as, you know, wedding parties do. I said, okay. And they're like, yeah, you, you guys are going to start dating. Like, they were pretty much calling their shot Babe Ruth style. They're like, this is going to be perfect. You guys are, you guys are just you guys are going to get hit it off so well. So that we met on a Wednesday before the wedding and at the wedding we started dating and you know the rest is history per se. Dating before that, like dating without my friend's help uh was not easy for me just flying solo. Um so I I you know I I had uh uh some friends who you know were looking out for me and and like I said it it all worked out. 
What the hell is dating like in 2018, brother? Um, it's a jungle. Uh, that's the easiest way to put it. I mean, um, like, I, I hear about things, you know, like you know, Tinder, which I don't think is really for dating. I, I based on based on my limited, um, I don't know, limited knowledge. I guess Tinder is more just for hooking up. Um, yeah. But but like, where does where does a, a you know young single person go to? I mean, do they go to the bars to meet people, or, or is it all done online? Or I, talk to me, man. I, and I, I I need to preface this by saying I'm not looking for advice because my situation's about to change or anything like that. Nothing could be further from the truth. I'm just trying to get a glimpse into into single life 2018 because it, it's. You know, I, I I worry about you, man. I I, I want to know that you're happy. <laughs> well, I appreciate the concern. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, now I'll preface this by saying my situation's a little bit different. Being 27 and you know being a college junior, having gone back to school a little bit later, you know, a lot of the you know women that I'm around on a daily basis, the i.e. the dating pool, um, considerably younger than I am. You know, um, at the short is you know the i don't even know what the word is that i'm trying to say right now but like the old you know the smallest age difference is you know five years you know most people you know when they're seniors in high or in college you know they're 22 you know i'm 27 so it's five years would, would on they the be, other hand would, would they i feel really seniors? old when i'm in classes and you know there's college freshmen and some of the you know general ed requirements i'm still finishing up who are 18 i'm like well i'm almost a full decade older than right them i'm just gonna just gonna cross that off you know and um yeah so i mean a lot of it you know but in a normal situation you know someone you know in their 20s you know working a career you know bars um you go to you know friends of friends you know stuff like that and then you know tinder facebook twitter you know um last you know last girl that I went out on a date with, you know, she worked at one of the accounts, you know, that my work services, you know, and that's where we kind of, you know, hit it off and, you know, went from there. But yeah, I mean, it's just a jungle because there's so much, uh, and it's a double-edged sword because there's a lot more visibility, you know, a lot more exposure, you know, to, you know, the dating pool via those, you know, avenues, but there's also a lot more competition, you know, for, you know, to just... You know, in terms of survival of the fittest, there's a lot more competition for, you know, and I don't mean this to, you know, denigrate women at all, you know, competition for resources, you know. Um, that's no, and, the, it, and I'm sure they see it the same way on, on the male side as well. Um, you know, like, yeah, like when I was, and I'll use this, uh, at, you know, college being the the common factor here. When I was in college, you know, the, the girls that I knew uh, or the girls that, if I had any, you know, chance with them or, or an, an opportunity to date them, they would be either from, you know, the, the small college that I went to, or they were probably from my hometown. I mean, that's just what it was. It's not, again, before the internet exploded and, you know, the whole world opened up, like you didn't know anybody from, you know, states away or anything like that. It was, you were relegated to, people that you saw face to face you know yeah. on a regular basis so so yeah i imagine that the internet is has probably both uh done good and bad 
for mm-hmm. for the dating scene. But but we were talking, we were joking about this on Twitter earlier, and uh, you said, I almost feel like if you were to have a, uh, I don't know if eHarmony or something like a match, maybe a Match.com <laughs> bio, something like that. I almost feel like if you were to have a Match.com bio, that this would be what it would say. And I'm quoting your tweet, so you can't okay. get mad. You said, and I quote, follow Haas at Haas Reuter on Twitter. I should start telling women that I meet, quote, I'm passionate about two things above all else, offensive line play and shopping carts being put away, end quote. Obviously, we know about the offensive line thing, but there's something about that shopping cart gimmick that is really infuriating to you. I understand it myself, especially as a guy who used to work at a grocery store and have to mm-hmm. chase all the shopping carts down. There's these return stalls in the parking lot scattered around for a reason, folks. Or if it's a nice day, just walk it back to the store. I've done it plenty of times myself. Um, you should be able to find a lady who, you know, can 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 get down with the fact that uh, you're an offensive line guy and you know you're polite enough to return a shopping cart, right? I mean, it's yeah, yeah, you know, and that that's not asking to much. Attention to detail. You know, because both things are detail oriented. Offensive line plays the small details and uh, putting your shopping carts away is a small detail in life that shows people that you're successful and motivated in life and you're not a total loser. It, it was funny. And, and we're, we're going to throw a, a shout out to uh, Jamie on this one. Um, I, I apologize. It wasn't uh, uh, Jamie. It was uh, Jade, I believe. I'm double checking. Yep, it was Jade. Uh who says that if opposites attract, your ideal woman would be uh, someone who, you know, appreciates defensive line play and uh, loves the chaos of carts everywhere. And I said, well, that, that couldn't work. I mean, that, and, and she replied that, that uh, it could work, you just couldn't go shopping together. But could you, yeah. could you be with a woman even though you knew in the back of your mind that she was – cart chaotic so to speak how she fell on that uh on that personality trait could you could you bury that somewhere deep enough to where it wouldn't like cause you to uh twitch every other day uh you know it'd be one of those things where it's like you know it would depend on a you know a few critical factors um one how much i like her two you know just whether you know there was a potential for a long-term future there and uh number three i would probably just resign myself to the point of uh after loading up the car with stuff that i would just walk the shopping cart on back myself (laughs) so i'm throwing out a ridiculous scenario because it's what i do you you have met and courted a young maiden and uh and have fallen in love. She is smitten with you. Uh, wedding bells are in your future, and children, you know, down the road as well. All of this time, you've never gone to Hy-Vee with her at all. That first time that you do, and you see that she just randomly leaves the cart out. Oh no, there's a little bit of a slope to the parking lot. That car gets away and bangs into the side of a Cadillac. And now you know the dark secret about your wife and the mother of your children. Hoss there would be what, what, there would be a come to Jesus moment. 
probably, you know, just bearing it all out there about, you know, my, uh, my, my aversion to people leaving shopping carts out in the middle of parking lots. It's like when, uh, I went to Costco today and pulled up and there were four shopping carts in one little area that picture I put on Twitter. And I mean, I was just looking at, it and I was like, you gotta be shitting me. And, you know, I took the time, I rounded all four of them up and I walked them, you know, 70 feet down to the cart corral. And then as I was walking into the store, there was another cart that was just standing out there. And I was just like, well, I'll just take this one and go inside with it. And just doing my part, you know, um, a lot of that stems from, you know, I don't want to door ding on my own car, sure, you know, sure. but the other part of it's like, I mean, there's usually like a cart corral within, you know, 20 feet, feet yeah. you know, take a few more steps, get a few more steps on that Fitbit, you know, or, you know, whatever step counter you have and put it on away. You know, it's the little details. Two anecdotes, uh, Along this topic, by the way, I do think that that come to Jesus meeting that you would have with your your uh, theoretical wife and mother of your hypothetical children uh, about the carts. I think that that would, in fact, lead to a two and a half hour long diatribe about the pipeline. Um, Probably, you know, just based on your your passions. Uh, two anecdotes, and then we're going to wrap it up because, by God, we've gone long enough, and most of this wasn't even about Nebraska <laughs> athletics, but that's okay. Uh, about a month ago, I was delivering water in Arnold, Missouri. Uh, my water company also, you know, we, we do houses, uh, you know, residences and businesses, but also we uh, have racks at places like Walmart, Lowe's, and Home Depot. And I was going to a particular Home Depot in Arnold, Missouri, and uh, uh, it's right next to a Target. And so I cut, you know, in front of the, the building most of the building of target because that's the easiest access in for my truck and i'm right at the end of target i'm, I'm waiting at the stop sign and a lady just pretty much lets her cart go and that some bitch takes off and i was like oh that's gonna hit another car and sure enough it did and she didn't even look like she cared she's like hmm. oh well somebody else's problem and times like that i'm like man i <laughs> wish that yeah i was like there are security cameras around i wish that they would get that lady's you know license plate you know, something like that, because somebody's going to have a hell of a door ding. Um, and then I moseyed on to Home Depot and filled their rack of water. The second one is on a Sunday morning after church, um, my wife who works nights, she's working right now, uh, and this is night number three in a row, so she's probably not going to make it to church in the morning. Uh, some of you folks might be listening to this episode while I'm at church. Hey, God bless you. Um, but our routine for Sunday mornings, whether it it's the three of us or just me and my boy is we always hit a grocery store on the way back, pick up a few odds and ends, a gallon of milk, loaf of bread, something like that, uh, a few donuts. And they have a little promotion in their bakery where every child 10 and under gets a free cookie, you know, for, I don't know, keeping them calm, keeping them quiet, whatever, so they're not screaming and hollering in the store. So we always go back there, get him a cookie and get some donuts, a few other things. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I pulled up right next to the cart corral knowing that hey this is going to be the easiest most convenient thing because uh you know i can put the cart right there after i get the groceries in well some jackass blocked the cart corral with like it was pushed back a little bit it wasn't out but anyway this other vehicle blocked the cart return and so I've never done this before, probably never do it again, but to send a message to that individual, I put the cart right behind their vehicle 
It's like, this is where the cart's supposed to go. Not your vehicle. This is where the cart is supposed to go. So I hope they, they had to move that. I Saying it now, retelling the story, because my wife agreed with me. She's like, I would have done the same thing. Uh, and she's not cart chaotic either. Um, but she's like, they, they blocked the... Uh, uh, <laughs> they they blocked the cart return. So, what are you going to do? All you can do is just you know, rather than you know, I, I tried to do it to send a message, but now looking back, I've noticed that uh, you know, I, I hope nothing happened to that cart. I hope the wind didn't take it. Something like that, you know, would have caused an issue uh, there anywhere. So, those are my two cart return anecdotes. I've got nothing left for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. What do you say, Haas? I think we've covered it all, and you know what? I bet those people learned their lesson not to leave a cart out anymore. I would hope so. And uh, that'll do it for us uh, for this week. It's a day late, and hopefully you got just as much out of this episode as we hoped to bring you, which was a whole lot of nonsense and a little bit of Husker talk. So I uh, wanted to congratulate Nebraska Wrestling, as we're, we tend to do here. Now we give you a little update at the end, which is not much of an update at all, that I get from uh, Twitter, at Husker Wrestling. Um, and they won their third duel in a row, beating Northwestern by a point, And that was Saturday, uh, Friday night. So it's a good thing that we recorded this on Saturday so that I was able to update that information for you. So Nebraska has won three Big Ten duels in a row, the latest one being a one-point win over Northwestern. That'll do it for us. See, we, we close on a Nebraska note, people. you got to give us that. And, and we don't talk about deadlifts. What more do you want? Um, for myself, Greg Mahochka, you can follow me at thehooch36. Follow the show on Twitter at five the number five heart podcast he is Haas Reuter at Haas Reuter r-e-u-t-e-r you should follow him because he's wise and comical and uh uh we're just reminding you this week and every week aside from all the fun times and good stories and husker info uh that five heart is all the hearts you need go big red win the damn off season this is a production of the jittery monkey podcast network For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.